Luton Town 3, Arsenal 4 on an entertaining but gut-wrenching night of football at Kenilworth Road. And with the Lutonian journalist James Cunliffe to unwrap it all. Another Ross Barkley loving, mate. Why not? I roll the intro. Welcome everyone to the latest episode of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. I'm Kev and as I said before the intro, I've got the Lutonian journalist James Cunliffe with me. We're going to unpack, uh, well I don't even know how to describe the night to be honest James, it was it was a wonderful night of football, the atmosphere, everything that you want from a midweek night of football. Just wish it didn't last 96.31, just 96 would have been perfect. Well that's what we were told, wasn't it? <laughs> so yeah, I mean... How do you sum it up? Really, it's it's two contrasting emotions and many more in, uh, besides, I suppose. But I think everybody, the general consensus is, everybody was really proud and just gutted. And um, yeah, it's been a long time since we've had that. And I think probably the Blackpool playoff semi final defeat at the Kenny was the last time it, it was like that. But there's some positive things, I think. There definitely is positive things and we'll certainly come on to them. And there's one person in particular that is definitely going to get an awful lot of limelight throughout the course of the next half an hour, 40 minutes or so. Let's start it all off though, James, with the team selection. We kind of spoke a lot in detail about what Luton could or couldn't do going into the game. Uh, we thought there would be a defensive change and there was, but it was Tom Lockyer that missed out with Alfie Doughty coming in. But a whole change up front. The front three was completely changed from the Brentford game. Carlton Morris, Chia Wogbene and Tahith Chong dropped to the bench. Jacob Brown, Elijah Adebayo and Andros Townsend come into the side. That move worked perfectly, but were you surprised to see all three drop? Uh, rested, well, rested rather than dropped. Drops a bit strong, <laughs> isn't it? I was. I really was. Um, you, you just come to assume that Carlton Morris is going to start, don't you? Um, but... Yeah, I guess at Brentford, it wasn't happening for him uh, and he's not got a goal for a while. We've talked about his performances. They've been really decent. Um, but, you know, when you've got players chomping at the bit to come in, why not? I mean, it was almost like a hide into nothing anyway. Everybody expected them, Arsenal, to win. So, yeah, it gave a, an opportunity to other people. I, I didn't see it coming and... Um, I think the Chio one was not su- not as surprising considering we were talking that he just wasn't himself against Brentford and I don't think he's really recovered from the foot injury. He's still carrying that a bit, isn't he? So um, that that was no surprise. And, and Jacob Brown obviously is in, was in a red-hot streak of form of, of scoring of two and two. <laughs> That's what we call him red-hot now in the Premier League. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, no, some surprises, but it was almost like, well, you could play anybody. At that point, you were thinking we could play anybody and um, that Arsenal should win. And it's just not what happened. No, it's really not. Uh, one surprise in the Arsenal team lineup, we ping, we pickpocketed Jorginho 
in the preview podcast. Obviously, Arteta watched it and thought, no, we're not having, <laughs> not having none of that. And um, it was uh, Declan Rice, who was kind of the pivot in front of the defence. And uh, Kai Havertz started the game. So um, they obviously laid their intention out to be pretty attacking. They had four attackers on the pitch, plus Odegaard, plus Rice, who didn't exactly do much defending over the course of the night. Luton were... Pretty happy to go toe-to-toe with their opponents, which I don't think too many, certainly outside of Luton, saw. And it just contributed to a wonderful, wonderful night of football. And one that we walked away thinking, like it against Liverpool, what might have been. But like you said, so, so proud of the effort. I think yet again at the end of the game, Ted and Mengi reflects all of us when he just dropped to the floor and uh, he could give no more and, and fair play to him. But I guess... For once, it was actually an entertaining first half as well. We've been becoming accustomed to sort of seeing out the first half and condensing the game into a short period as possible to obviously give us the best chance. But this time, Luton were winning the ball high up the pitch. They were looking confident. They were looking like a team that were playing with a free hit without actually having a free hit, if that makes any sense. And um, Arsenal didn't really offer anything to the game until we left the door wide open for them and... That was kind of annoying, really. And a Mari Bell back pass that, uh, if he was aiming for the corner flag, he was <laughs> pretty close to it, wasn't he? And I don't know, there's so much wrong with it. I mean, Kaminsky could belt it into Hatter's way, couldn't he? But it doesn't, and the ball comes back quickly. And poor old Doughty switches off for a split second, and Saka's gone. And it was like everything went into fast forward for that 10 seconds. All of a sudden, Jesus and Martinelli were on their feet, which was rare because uh, they didn't spend much of the time on that. And um, ball's in the back of our net. It was, yeah, it was a, it was gutting really because Luton were confident, comfortable, really. Uh, Arsenal really hadn't made too many forays into the final third. They had a lot of the ball, which you'd expect. We knew that anyway. Um, yeah, Luton very comfortable, pressing well, passing well. Barkley started off that, um, in the midfield area, certainly, and and carried it on throughout the whole game. We'll come to him, I, I expect. And then just out of nowhere, it's just this, just shot themselves in the foot because at every stage that you, you can say there's a chance to rectify the situation and, and, and clear the lines, but just a calamity of errors, really. The back pass was bad. Kaminsky, although, you know, he, conceded four goals we didn't really put a foot wrong it made some fantastic saves but that one clearance you know passed it to the sideline when he should have just booting it over the over the stand and then getting to regroup and then Doughty just going to sleep really and you know relatively speaking Luton kept Saka on a leash but he still came up with an assist didn't he so um at that point it just it felt flat because of the positive start and you're just thinking, well, they don't concede many, especially on the road. That could be it already. One mistake and, and, and it. But then um, luckily, quick fire, it, it turned out not to be. And, and Luton are becoming one hell of a threat from corners now. Yeah, we've mentioned all season long about how the first goal is important in Luton games. And it felt like it was going to be important last night because... I think the man of the match must be Dickie Bird, the groundsman, because he obviously put a lovely pitch together because all the Arsenal players wanted to do was lie on the lie on it. It was <laughs> it was incredible. Gabriel anyone called Gabriel decided that they were going to lay down and have a kit, but it was it was just like 
playing a bunch of babies at times, the amount of times they were rolling around. I mean, Saka, every time someone had the audacity to touch him, he was on the floor demanding a free kick. Martinelli spent more time on his backside than his feet. Jesus, that was appalling in the first half, trying to get Amari Bell into trouble when he didn't actually touch him whatsoever. Later on in the game, Odegaard, I mean... If the Arsenal shirt wasn't so fucking ludicrous, the referee would have worn one, wouldn't he? It was horrendous, that shirt that they was wearing. But anyway, that's by the by. Thankfully, we found a way back into the game quickly, which we needed to do because you got the feeling that all them histrionics was going to continue and get worse. Lovely corner from Alfie Doughty. Get out of my way, Martinelli, says Osho, and just thumped a header into the corner. It was brilliant. Yes, it's a beautiful sight to behold, isn't it? A, a well-taken corner and a, and a header like that. Doughty's delivery is just fantastic and it's not a fluke. We know it now. He's way up there for assists on crosses in the Premier League. I think he was second when he going into that game. Might have to look at the stats again and see if he's number one now. I don't know. But yeah, he, 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 it wasn't the first time as well. Um, and yeah, Osho getting his first Premier League goal. And uh, yeah, it looked pretty good after that point. And uh, yet again, really, I mean, we, we, we're slightly on a different viewpoint of the second goal. I think it's a, another sort of shoot yourself in the foot moment, but you're, you're of a different view. Yeah, again, I, they just go into fast forward down that left-hand side and the movement and the touch between Ben White, who must have been on the sunbed for a good few hours before the game, <laughs> and um, Saka, and then before you know it, I mean, once the ball gets floated to the back stick, I heard some people criticising Kabore, but Jesus just got a run on him and you just can't stop him in that once he's got the run on him. And it's you can probably defend it better, but sometimes you just also got to hold your hands up and say that was pretty slick football. And and it was pretty slick football, but it, it was annoying because, again, you, you never saw it coming. It's not like we were under siege or anything. I mean, you mentioned earlier Kaminsky's conceded four goals for the first time since the opening day of the season, probably since the opening day of the season. That's what's quiet as a night of football as he's had. It didn't really, you know, there weren't shots raining in on him. There weren't even shots going all over the crossbar. It wasn't like Nunes who was firing from here, there and everywhere at him. But I don't know, it's just, it's just weird. And the timing of it as well, just going into injury time in the first half. Five minutes of injury time, but obviously we saw it out and nothing doing. You kind of went in at half time and you're like, oh, we don't deserve to be behind. But then you got that worrying 10 minutes after half time where we always sort of struggle. But not on this occasion. We come straight back out, get a corner from a really good worked move and a Townsend shot that was blocked behind for a corner. Doughty goes down there. Now I got criticised for criticising the Arsenal <laughs> goalkeepers in the preview podcast. I'm sorry, but I wasn't critical enough based on that evidence last night. What Raya is doing for that second goal, I have absolutely no idea. But he came out for a cross that he was never going to get to in a month of Sundays. And Elijah was like, thank you very much. And the big man just nods it in and uh, wheels away for his third goal of the season. Yeah, I don't know what he's doing either, but I'm glad he did it. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, um, he flapped at that. Unbelievable. I was almost, we've become so accustomed to it. I was almost half expecting VAR to go, no, somebody's breathed on him and that's ruled out. But Elijah didn't impede on him whatsoever. He just rose highest and, um, yeah, just absolutely missed the, missed the ball. And we, we, we'll take that 
will take it all day long if, if they're going to make mistakes and give it away. But I, I'm a very pleased for Elijah, really, because it justified his start and he's been itching to get uh, on. He's obviously done it now and on arguably one of the biggest stages, really, because it's a televised game against the league leaders and all eyes watching it. And, um, yeah, he's done the business, really, and I, I'm glad for him. I hope it spurs him on a, on more. Not that he didn't have that impetus, did he? He came off the bench and scored goals, but, you know, for the first time in his Luton career, he's ha- sort of having to second-guess whether he's going to be starting or not, whereas before it was Morrison Adebayo in the Championship, and that was, that was it, and the Championship defenders had to deal with it, and now it's a little bit different. But he offered something different, Almost sort of an unpredictability, really, that the you know the, the Premier League defenders didn't really know what to deal with. It was an interesting quote from um, Edwards afterwards. He says, "They want control and order, and we provided chaos." And I think that's he, he epitomised that really because sometimes he doesn't know what he's doing either. Um, uh, but it comes off. You know, you only have to look at the Wembley goal and the way he set that up and. It was sort of it was wonderful skill, but sort of gangly as well at the same time. Which obviously bamboozled the defender then, and it goes going to the Premier League where they expect everything to be you know clean and methodical almost, and he's just going in there doing what the hell he likes and upsetting the apple cart. It's good to see. Yeah, he rushed the Arsenal defenders throughout the game or throughout the hour, so that he was on the pitch as well. And I think that is very much you know. Arsenal build from those two centre backs, don't they? I think I think I'm right in saying going into the game, Saliba uh, had the best passing accuracy of anyone in the league. I was impressed with him, to be fair. He's a class, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's a class act, no doubt about that. I, I picked him out as one of the best centre halves in the Premier League going into the game, and he showed why. Even though he conceded three goals, it was just that's just how crazy the night was. Jubilation when Elijah equalised went to absolute fever pitch about ten minutes later because. Well, Ross Barkley on the halfway line has got four men around him, right? One of them's going to tackle him. They're going to break through and they're probably going to score. Only Ross Barkley doesn't read those kind of scripts. He writes his own scripts straight out of this box, through the four of them, drives the ball forward, lays it into Andros Townsend, who I have to say has the composure of someone I've not seen in a Luton shirt for a long time. So many people with the frenetic atmosphere and the chaos, like you mentioned, will have just gone for the top corner from where it was but not Townsend he's chopped the bloke he's seen Barkley he's laid it to Barkley who's one-on-one with Ben White and you just know that's not a good matchup for Arsenal gets on his left foot it's not the cleanest strike in the world but it's still good enough to beat the misfit in goal (laughs) and my word the scenes when that hit the back of the net I mean Luton three Arsenal two we've been there before and absolutely fantastic it very much reminiscent if I can get the word out of when Chong scored against Liverpool in that very same goal yeah the roof came off didn't it it was unbelievable Um, yeah I think you're right about Townsend in that I mean he was looking to score and have a shot a couple of times and I think they must have pinpointed that because they know what he's all about from distance and it's a good job that he's not it was not a one track mind there when that route was closed off fine fine Barkley he's got a little bit of work to do and you know, Raya um, should be holding his uh, head in his hands with that one. Well, he was definitely beating the ground in frustration because you shouldn't be conceding that when you're a, a top draw goalkeeper. But I don't care. I don't care how he didn't get it. And um, all, all credit to Barkley because that was one of the 
you know, obviously we're all very disappointed about the result and the manner of it. But when you sort of look back on it and even moments after the final whistle, when everybody sort of got over the stunned, uh, the silence of it and sort of cheered the, the fellas off the pitch. I can't, I can't, rec- I can't count the amount of times people came up and the first thing they said to me, Ross Barkley was absolutely brilliant tonight. And it was an absolute joy to watch everything about him. I mean, you mentioned they had four players around him and regularly happened. And I think in his first couple of games for Luton, people were going, well, I'm not sure about this because he was getting caught out maybe in those situations. But now he's like, well, what I'm going to do is going to Cruyff turn you. and <laughs> I'm going to drop the shoulder past you. I'm going to burst through the middle of the other two. And you can all see me in your rear, my rear view mirror. And uh, absolutely wonderful performance. And uh, the, the goal on his birthday as well. Um, he, des- he he deserved everything else, but it, it didn't come. But we we can we can see now what's really happening with Russ Barkley, and we 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 said it weeks back that if if he gets the right run in the team, gets the ninety minutes, obviously as the love and support of the the staff and the players, and and now clearly the fans as well, everything's on board for this guy, and he's just gonna an absolute superstar he keeps looting up on his own I'm absolutely certain of that and if he is fit in June and he does not go to the Euros something has gone seriously seriously wrong or England are a dance site better than I think they are because he has everything and as Roberto Martinez said in the coverage the best thing about him is Rob's moved his position from because Roberto Martinez was the one who had him at Everton right at the start mm. and he played him further forward. Rob plays him deeper. He explained why he plays him deeper so that he can carry us up the pitch. But with Barkley, and, and we'll come on to him again at the end because we have still obviously got to finish the game. But with Barkley, what I love about him, he knows he's head and shoulders above anyone else that we've got, right? And that's no disrespect to anyone else that we've got. But he doesn't care about that pressure of being the main man in the side. He relishes it and takes a special kind of someone, a special kind of player to thrive in that situation. And he absolutely does. The only downside was his goal was only the leading goal for a couple of minutes. And if there's one criticism of criticism of this side, James, and we can't be critical of too many of this, of, of this team, the one thing we haven't yet learned, we've learned so much in the Premier League, we haven't learned yet how to manage the four or five minutes after we score. And we need to do that because this is costing us points that our performances deserve. Yeah, okay, Jesus has done really well to isolate Mengi and get inside him. No one's tracked Kai Havertz. Maybe they thought he was shit he'd miss anyway, but unfortunately <laughs> on this occasion, he didn't. We're being we're giving a bit too much Christmas cheer out, aren't we? I mean, the worst striker in the league scored against us on Saturday and one of the worst who's cost 65 million scored against us on Tuesday. But we have to manage after we score better. That emotional energy has to it has to change because it is costing us points now. Yeah, big time. I mean, I I didn't even see it first time round because I was too busy going, "Hello, everybody! It's three two. Remember that score against Arsenal?" <laughs> By the time I'd finished that sentence, yeah, no, it's not three two. Yeah. Balls in the net. Um, yeah, it, it's so harsh on what Luton had done to get themselves drag themselves back in. Not back in front, drag themselves in front. I mean, we should say by this point, we have doubled the amount of goals that Arsenal have conceded away from home all season. Arrived at Kenilworth mm. Road, having conceded three in three months. 
little old Luton pitch up and within an hour they've doubled the tally. It's it's insane what happened in that first hour. This is the mad thing, isn't it? That how, how we can be so disappointed at all that because we've done everything right apart from that last additional, don't know where it came from, 30 seconds. Um, stuff that other teams haven't done um, for quite some time. I think um, I think only the Manchester side's put that many goals past them last season. And then obviously this season, they've been very, very uh, stingy. So to to get to get three is amazing. It's just yeah, from that point you need to be holding on to it, and because they were rattled, they um, after the Eli goal they were rattled, and then you need to press home that advantage once you've scored the goal, uh, the, the 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 goal to put you ahead, and um, such was the noise, I guess that I don't know, maybe do you get carried away? Or is is the atmosphere too much? I don't know, but. Um, it it was too easy to to just lob it into the to the box and and have it to have the have the run on Kaminsky. So um, yeah, very very disappointing. But also at the same time, it's thirty minutes to go there, and I'm I'm sort of fearing the worst. Like that three minutes was good as good it was going to get, but they defended amazingly after that, considering the sort of gifts they gave them uh, for the goals you know, almost until the last kick, they did it perfectly. Wonderful defensive display. Ted and Mengi, what an absolute superstar he's turning out to be. Um, You know, Lockyer not in the side, obviously. Um, Osho, I think he's adapted to the Premier League so, so well. I spoke to him afterwards. He was the the most gutted I've ever spoke to a player about the the result, obviously, because he he got out-jumped by... um, he got out jumped for the for the winner, uh, but it was it was fantastic to think that he's been thrown in the deep end uh, and had to jump into a Premier League campaign for the first time ever. He scored a goal in that game as well. Um, he, yeah, he's only he's only going to get better. Yeah, I would agree with that. It was the one time that we needed the substitutions to make the impact that the substitutions have made in previous games, and it didn't really. We never quite got up to the heights that we did with the original three on the pitch just after the uh, the Arsenal equaliser, the Havertz equaliser, Chong, Morris and Ogbeni replaced the three that replaced them in the starting lineup. But it, it just felt different, didn't it? We couldn't hold the ball up. We couldn't get forward. We were slowly getting further and further back. But in saying that, I thought Arsenal would completely run out of ideas going into injury time. I thought we're going to be okay here. Uh, Kaminsky had made one save hadn't he from the Havertz header that was going over anyway but he didn't know that and that's fine to push it over and really they were they were trying to get the fullbacks in but there wasn't no passing lanes for them and then you know six minutes has gone they get a free kick we head it out and you're just expecting the whistle at that point but no he's allowed to play again ball gets recycled to Odegaard he puts a world class ball in to be fair to him Declan Rice, 105 million quid. I don't think he was spent with headers in the 97th mm. minute in mind, but he just puts it in the one place in that goal that Kaminsky can't reach. And it's like a balloon, wasn't it? A needle in the balloon. I've, you mentioned Blackpool earlier. It was exactly like that, albeit we scored the Blackpool goal and we didn't score this one. But the noise just, just went, didn't it? it? Just Everyone couldn't believe what they saw. 
Yeah, I still can't believe it, to be quite honest. I, I mean, you can you could forgive Luton if Arsenal picked them open with some sort of continental flair. But like you say, they had run out of ideas. They were just lobbing it into the box. And usually you expect Luton to be able to deal with that. Um, it was a good ball by Odegaard. And he, he came alive in that last 15, 20 minutes, to be fair, Um because he'd been living in the shadow of Ross Barkley up to that point. We we highlighted him in the preview podcast and he showed his quality in that in, at the end of it, but he was he was overshadowed by Ross Barkley, absolutely. But that's the that's the difference, isn't it? These sides that they need that one bit of quality and he whips it in there. It is a fantastic ball, to be fair. And it's, it's I suppose that this this may be sort of the difference is that they were going down the channel and trying to whip him in from the sides and here they change the angle of it and he he does that and yeah, it's well, yeah, what what can you do? It's right in the bottom corner. Um it's the only sort of it's the only goal for me of the theirs of the night where you you're not looking at anybody going, could have done a bit better there. Um it's just a signal. <laughs> it really is. It's, uh, but the, uh, the emotions do feel different. Like, you know, after the Burnley one, it we were flat on me and this one, yeah, I'm guided by it and it, it's still annoying, but the, the, the performance there spoke volumes about how they're you know, progressing and stuff. And I suppose the only caveat for me now is that can't keep saying that now it's going to, you're going to have to start turning these into, some points, but I don't think we're at panic stations yet. No, 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 we're definitely not at panic stations. Um, I mean, if they are the best team in the league and if they are to go on and win the Premier League, and I have to say I've nothing against Arsenal, but I just hope for the game of football that a bunch of babies rolling around on the floor don't win the Premier League. I hope <laughs> the game of football is better than that. Who knows what Man City will provide on Sunday? I'd like to think they're going to be a little bit... I mean, the worst one, of, like you said, the Odegaard one. And then for him to deliver a piece of quality to show his standout ability, but to do that five minutes beforehand when Chio doesn't even touch him, it's just, I know it's the game, but I don't like it. And I could, before I get slaughtered, I called Chong out for doing it at Brentford on Saturday. I do not like it at all. You're a good footballer. You're worth hundred million. Play the game of football. Beat us in the style that you should beat us in. But also, I mean, they're going to do that. They're going to try and get any advantage they want. But the referee's then got to, he's got to have watched football before and see that Chia is just quicker and stronger than him. There's no foul because in the same move, Odegaard sort of puts an arm across him and gets in front of him first. And then Chia goes, right, well, two can play that game, does the same to him, gets away. And that's a foul somehow. I mean, it's... The inconsistency of it is so frustrating and it always is with referees. Um, you know, it's even before we're talking about VAR, it's just like, you know, in the first half, the the incident with Andros Townsend where they they VAR check for a penalty when he's just had studs raked down his shin. And by any measure that we've seen this season, last season, that's a red card and they're not even giving it. Um, you know, I always hesitate to say, well, the big teams get the big decisions. I'm, I'm really, I've not, we've not had to bother with it because we've not been in, in this division. We hear about it all the time and yeah, you might take a passing interest, but nothing really to get deep in the weeds of it. But when people say these things, 
it's because of those incidents and you go, well, I can't disprove it. I can't, I'm not going to jump in uh, two footed like the, like they did there and believe it all. But it's hard not to, under. it's hard to, uh, un- you understand where these people are coming from. Yeah. As I said earlier in the podcast, the only reason he didn't have an Arsenal shirt on is because it looked so bloody ridiculous. The referee, he was terrible. The Andros Townsend incident that you mentioned just into the second half, uh, not the first half, Kiwior, they actually check for a penalty on Kiwior. Mm. I mean, I can't, I can't work it out. If anyone saw the Tottenham versus Chelsea game a few Monday nights back, Christian Romero is sent off for that exact same thing. Not even, not even a word to Kiwior. I mean, well, that, that's the consistency of it, isn't it? Because yeah. you can see that it's happened in that game, red card for one. He's and they, gen- they, they've either, they're either saying, well, they got that one wrong and so all future ones now don't count, or that one was correct and they've missed this one. He is genuinely lucky that he reads the game of football so well, Townsend, that his foot's not on the floor. Because if his foot's on the floor, his leg's no more. Mm. That, for, In any language, that's endangering the opponent. I don't care what... I mean, when I heard that there was a VAR check, I was like, because I, I saw it, even though I'm in the kennel offend, I saw it. You could tell Townsend stays down. That's never happened before. You could just tell by the way he went into that challenge, Kirior, that he had missed the ball and he had got the man purely by the reaction. So when the VAR check come out, I was like, oh, good. He's in trouble here. Mm. Get home and they've checked for a penalty. Yeah. <laughs> like someone's having a giraffe, but he was terrible all night. The referee, he wasn't much better at Notts Forest when we had him earlier in the season either. And if we see him again this season, it'll be too soon. That is, um, that's for sure. Um, yeah. So gut wrenching the, the the winning goal but you know we were all disappointed we were disappointed in the stands you guys were disappointed up in the press room and players and manager were disappointed let's hear what they had to say we'll start with the man who opened his Premier League account Gabe Osho but he really didn't care about that after the game when James spoke to him he just could not hide his disappointment of the way the game ended I don't really know at certain moment don't really care about the first Premier League goal. It's just, just really disappointing not to gain anything from that game when I felt like we deserved something. I mean, from their perspective, it's what top teams do, I guess. But from our perspective, it's... This is the man Liverpool now where we probably lost out on four points. Um, it takes us, I don't even know, where on the table. So we have to fix that. It's just disappointing at the moment. There's a little bit of a positive, just the fact that we've gone, you know, against Liverpool and Arsenal and really pushed them to the end, which you, know, you probably didn't going forward when we play other home games against probably lesser opposition than them. That you know, we can you can get something more out of the games, but yeah, as I said, at the moment it's just disappointing. And it was a similar story for Andros Townsend as well. He's seen it all before in football. He was a little bit more pragmatic, uh, James listened in on an interview that uh, Andros Townsend gave with TalkSport and uh, here's what he had to say. Proud and devastated. They're the two words, proud and devastated. Proud because it was an amazing performance against Europe's best, one of Europe's best clubs. Uh, to score three goals, to press higher, to not give him any time on the ball, um, to have chances and to still lose it. Devastating. But same again on Sunday, we've got Man City, so we have to... We'll sulk tonight and we'll drown our sorrows, but then tomorrow we have to take the positives and, and look forward to another tough game on Sunday. I've been in the game long enough to know that you've, you've never, there's, there's always time on the clock. Uh, I think we made a sub 
or there was a foul in, in, so I knew there'd be more than 96. We just couldn't hold out. Um, and that's football. That's when you're in the Premier League, you can't give them any chance. And unfortunately, um, we've been undone in the last second of the game. We were undone against Liverpool in the last few minutes. So we have to learn from it. We have to learn and be better. And if we're going to stay in the league, we need to start turning these ones into points and, and Liverpool's into wins uh, if we're going to get the required points. We need. And I think if you look at all the, the top teams we've played this season, Spurs unlucky to lose, Liverpool unlucky not to win, United conceded a set piece here tonight, unlucky to, to, to not take a point. So each game we're taking the positives, but eventually we need the points on the ball, like I said. And finally, I mean, Rob Edwards, you only had to look as he went round the pitch after the game. He was absolutely gutted. I've not seen a human being that gutted for a long time and you know you can understand why masterminded a perfect game plan just denied right at the death but here's what the boss had to say in relation to it and like all of us he was very proud I didn't really know what to say to the lads afterwards uh, what I did say I'm proud of them um, not to let that one moment then affect us too much I've got to try and look at the bigger picture Um they did exactly what we asked of them, gave everything. And you know, football is about entertainment. It was an entertaining game. I know my job is to try and get points as well. And, um, you know, we've just come up short tonight. Um, but I think we made it a really uncomfortable night for them. They, they want a game of order and control and we tried to make it chaotic. We tried to be really aggressive and brave. And then we showed really good quality as well when we had the ball in, in, in uh, you know, in the moments that we had it. So... Yeah, you're right. I think we can take some positivity from it and um, and we have to. But we know we need to get points as well. And uh, you're right, performances and things that will get us those. I thought we showed a lot of character and bravery to come back twice and then to get in the lead. Do you know what? I was talking to our, to the subs when the third goal went in and I haven't actually had time to look at the third goal yet, so I haven't even seen it, their equaliser. Um, that clearly changed it gives them a fresh impetus and then it's a little bit more difficult to to continue to press and be aggressive we tried they probably started taking a little bit more control the last 15 minutes or so which they're going to do um we hope we'd done enough to see it out uh but it wasn't to be yeah i don't think i've ever seen them so disappointed or flat they were really they were hurt by it we all we all were but all i can say again to them is that they gave everything they're proud they made the supporters proud Fans are all staying at the end and standing up and clapping. And we know we've done our job when they're doing that. I always say that. Um, and the difference tonight between a 3 3 and a 4 3 was obviously, it was just that few, those few seconds. So if I can not, we can learn from it, but almost eliminate it from how I feel about the game, um, then I'm, you know, really, really proud of the players. Great to get the views from inside the camp, as always. Um, but we've got to finish. Well, carry on this podcast talking about one man really we do if you follow the Luton Town social media accounts there's a two minute 51 show reel of Ross Barkley in that game and I mean some of the things he does the first 30 seconds a step over to go past a man and play a pass inside to Andros Townsend on the edge of his box in the first half he Cruyff turns his way away from trouble carries the ball out I think it was the 75th minute until someone tackled him when Odegaard pinched the ball off of him towards uh, the ed edge of our box. The other 
the other 75 minutes. Let's get this right. He's up against a midfield that's worth 200 million plus, right? He's pretty much on his own in there. It's no disrespect to Pelly, but, you know, Barkley's a level above. He bossed that midfield. 1v3, right? An England international, a Norway international, a German international. And Ross Barkley said, I'll have all of it. And he, he was absolutely brilliant. You mentioned it earlier. It was a pleasure to watch it. It really was. And we've already done the Is He the Best Player in a Luton Shirt ever podcast. I don't really care if he's better <laughs> than Ricky Hill or not, to be quite honest, because I'm just so enjoying watching Ross Barkley. And I knew I would enjoy watching Ross Barkley as soon as I saw him right at the start. I knew. And yeah, he was a little slow to get up to speed. He hadn't played for so long, didn't have a preseason. I expected that. I don't know if he still found his rhythm because he was still finding it after Crystal Palace. Yeah. But if he has found it, we are going to enjoy watching this kid because he is, I say kid, he was 30, (laughs) 30 on the night, wasn't he? He was. But he is just a joy to watch. And if he stays fit for the whole of this season, we can get out of this. We really can. I think so. I think he, that the show reel is interesting for me because what Barkley does is not necessarily the tricks and flicks that social media's show reels uh, all about and what gets shared is he's, he's not, he's not, I'm not saying he's Neymar, but what he does is real world football intelligence and the little drops of the shoulder and the bursts of pace, the step over here or there or a 60 yard raking pass and that sort of thing, getting his head up when he gets the ball knowing where players are around him so he can turn out of danger immediately. And it's all instant and it's silky. It's just absolutely poetry, emotion, gorgeous stuff to watch. And that was his best performance by a country mile. Um, And he hadn't been a slouch before that either as well. So if he can keep building on that, what, what a player. And he's doing this in a position that's not necessarily familiar with him. He's having to at the moment. You've got to think if Nakamba and uh, Sambi come back and they're the anchors or the pivots or whatever you want to call them now, and maybe he plays a bit further forward, watch out defence is <laughs> in the Premier League. He's going to be on fire. The one thing we wanted him to add to be the complete article was the goals and he's got off the mark and that's not the last goal he's going to score in the Luton shirt. That much is for sure. There was, a, there was one incident in the second half where... A player closed him down from behind and the whole crowd, myself included, shouted man on you. It's almost mm-hmm. like that natural tendency. And then I said to myself, I don't know why I shouted that because he knows the whole He's got picture. eyes in the back of his head. He knows where everyone is. He doesn't need it, but it's just that natural when you're a fan instinct to do it. But he just moved away from him as if he was nowhere near him. And it was like, you are too good, son. You are too good. Yeah. And I think that, I think that his performance... And a number of other factors as well is is really why I'm not down in the dumps by that result. It it was it was hard to take, and I couldn't go to sleep that night. But me and you, I think we were both well awake into the early hours of the morning because the adrenaline of it all. But I woke up not gutted by anything else but that last touch. That's it. Everything else was building blocks and positivity and. Ross Barkley was at the top of the list for everything there. It was one hell of a performance. And, you know, it's right that 
uh, he got mentioned on social media and on the telly. For once, the sponsors got the right man of the match award. Not the telly. I don't know why they gave it to Gabe. Yeah, I don't know what Ali had been drinking there. but I mean, I thought Gabe, uh, I've already said, I thought he was good. But To be fair to Ali, he did give an honourable mention to Ross Barkley. And I guess from from the Ali McCush point of view, he probably expects that from Barkley because he'll have seen him when Mm. he played in the past. Whereas we're still getting to the where what can we expect from Barkley because when we get to the level that we can expect from Barkley he says no hold my beer and I'm going up another one and but he was yeah he was he was sublime wasn't he he was last night everything that I go to football for you know he he, he it was just an absolute pleasure I mean I was lucky enough to have watched Kean and Jewsbury Hall live in the flesh once I only got the chance to do it once during that COVID season as many of us did and I thought He's a great player, but Barkley's got him covered. And that's saying something because he was a damn good player, Dewsbury Hall. But Barkley is streets ahead and I just want more of it. Every single game now, I can't wait for it to come around so that I get to watch Ross Barkley again. Yeah, I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to watch a lot of Kiernan because I got into the grounds during the COVID season. And he was, uh, he was class. Uh, he was young and he was... It was kind of a marriage of rawness, but intelligence beyond his young years, which is a strange contrast, but he was very good and quite rightly, everybody raved about him and he was doing that in the championship. And now Barkley's doing that against the current best team in the land, five points clear at the top of the league now after that, that win. And um, yeah, I mean, if people have watched Barkley um, throughout his career, people who maybe cover the Premier League or Premier League fans, they like you say, they're probably used to that a, a bit more where we're more in the honeymoon period of this. And that's okay. I don't I'm 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 well happy with that because the step up in quality is just it's like warp factor. It's it's huge and he is if he's not at his best at the moment, it's frightening what he can get get to and off the back of that, I think it's absolutely right that people start going, well, why why aren't England looking at him? Because these performances have been building. It's, that's not a fluke. It's just his best one so far. And what he did there um, to, to, to drive Luton on and pull them through that game is Royal Rover stuff almost. And why wouldn't England want some of that? I want it. <laughs> I mean, even if he's only going out there to come off the bench when England need him, you're not telling me, what's he going to take, six midfielders? You're not telling me there's six better English midfielders out there if this guy's still not at his best. It's just just not true. It it absolutely isn't true. And I'm sorry, Clicker, but you're no longer the best free transfer this club's ever made. (laughs) You're just not. I mean, that's enough of us eulogising over a special footballer. You want to hear from the man himself, right? We sent James along and uh, here are the thoughts of Ross on, well, a night where he opened his town account and just shone so brightly. It's, um, it was a bit of a downer in the end because we performed well against the, you know, the team that's top of the league. So, you know, positives to take from it because we were, we were down 2-1 and being back 3-2 and then, then we conceded another 2 um, We We keep making the mistakes, but we are working on. Um, sorting it out um, <clears throat> but yeah I'm a killer in the end we're just still learning and staying positive um, we've got a great team spirit and you know we show character on game day and we were getting beat 
you know, 1-0 came back. Then we're getting beat 2-1 and then we've, we've went ahead and then we, we were unfortunate to concede, you know, in the last minute. If they if they didn't score that, we probably would have said we were, we were the better side. You know, they weren't really causing us any problems other than a few little moments of magic from them, which they're going to have because they're a quality side with top players. Um, thought we caused them problems and, you know, were a danger for anyone because no team in the league scored three goals against Arsenal this season. So you have to look at it in, in a positive way. I'm just enjoying my football um, and uh, yeah, it was great to score my first goal today and, you know, I'm feeling positive, confident and I'm, I'm enjoying being at the club, genuinely. Um, and I can feel the connection with the fans and players. It's it's good to be a part of. The fans are there to the last minute singing. Um, on the weekend, you got beat by Brentford and... You know, we were clapping them at the end because of the support it was brilliant and they're still singing in the end and it's great to see. Um, but, you know, hopefully as the season goes, we do reward them and we stay in the league and, and they can celebrate that. Sensational. And uh, as I say, uh, I can't wait to watch him again and again and again. There were so many good performances on the night. Gay Boss Show was almost foot perfect for the 96 minutes that the game should have been played for he was foot foot perfect just that extra 30 seconds that he let rice get above him and shout outs to gabe absolutely brilliant i thought ted and mengi again i mean this boy i've said it a few times on this podcast as soon as i saw him at exeter i knew he was a footballer and um he gets better and better okay jesus muscled in there for the third goal so he's still not quite right there, but the the shoots are there, and we love Reese Burke on this podcast. But I'm not sure how he gets back in, or well, he certainly doesn't get back in ahead of Ted and Mengi anyway. Not at the moment. No, he's absolutely shooing for a starting berth. Ted and he's been a really canny acquisition. I think um, we always hoped he would be. He's he fits. He's fits the Luton transfer model to an absolute T. He's young and he's got something to prove and he's doing it. He's proven it. Um, he's very athletic. And uh, I think a couple of um, podcasts back, we had Derek on. He said he's not quite sure with him with the ball at his feet, but I thought last night he was very accomplished. Um, and that shows the improvement in just like a couple of games, really. So, um, yeah, if he, and he just settled defence that would be handy um, but I think he worked really well on, alongside Lockyer obviously Lockyer is not there so you, you've got a, a central defensive pairing of um, Osho and Mengi at least Bell's more experienced but Osho and Mengi who are very young so um, maybe lacking that slight bit of leadership we know that's what Lockyer does so well but um, yeah those two in a settled settled defence uh, and hopefully lock you back. Um, you've got some real conundrums there as to who to pick because we know that Amari Bell is well, well fancied by Edwards and um, yeah, and when Burke comes back, we've talked previously, previous seasons about him being a Rolls Royce defender. Uh, and if Ted and Mengi's keeping him out, then what does that make him? Yeah, absolute class. That's what uh, it makes him. Um, just a couple of others. I mean, we could talk about all 11, but we won't. I thought Eli was brilliant doing the job that 
you know, pressing both the defenders. I thought credit where it's due, not just his goal, but his all-round effort. Yet again, we mentioned it in the Brentford Review podcast that it was six of the last seven goals when Eli's on the pitch. Well, it's now nine of the last ten when Eli's on the pitch. And Jacob Brown didn't influence the game in terms of a goal, but his endeavour and his work rate, keeping Ben White as far back as possible, as, as long as possible, threaded a couple of balls through, which on another day would have found Alfie Doughty in a real dangerous position. Certainly didn't do anything to think that he can't start in future. Yeah, I think he's shown that. His, his work rate is the thing for that particular game and the game plan that they needed there, which was this uh, chaos element that Edwards talked about, which was not letting them settle on the ball and not letting them play this intricate passing football that they want to. Um <clears throat> He's instrumental in that because he runs all day long uh, and after after people, and that's probably why he got why he got the chance on top of the fact that he's he had two goals in two games before that. So um, I think there was yeah everybody really really put a shift in. Um, it was just those sort of lapses in concentration, which were momentary ones, but as we've seen in the Premier League, just so killer really. Um, but everything else is, I'm sure when they were back in the training ground, um, this morning to sort of debrief and look over that performance, there's so much more to be positive and, and, and work on than, than there was to correct. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, as I've referenced earlier on in the podcast, Roberto Martinez was a pretty shrewd judge last night and he, he said two things that stood out to me first of all he said the Ross Barkley he watched last night was the Ross Barkley he managed at Everton well he was a superstar there so if he's sorry he actually said he was an improved version of the one that he managed wow. at Everton so if that's what he thinks then happy days the other thing he said was promoted teams they're usually fine with their first 11 on the pitch but they struggle thereafter but he said he saw last night Luton have got 14, 15, 16 players that can do the job at this level. And he thinks that's what's going to keep us in the Premier League. Now, this is a guy who has been in relegation scraps with when he was managing Wigan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he knows what it takes to stay in the Premier League. And if he's saying that, and I don't, it didn't strike me as just, you know, throwaway words. It genuinely seemed to mean it. Then... Um, that can only be a positive as well. You know, I hope someone has got those words and fed them back to, you know, everyone at the club, really, because if, if a manager of that stature, and let's not forget, he's just taken Portugal to the Euros, having managed Belgium to a number of tournaments, not not least Wigan to the FA Cup and all of the achievements that he's had. For him to say that, he knows the Premier League as well as anyone. Uh, you know, that gives me so much confidence. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's just confirmation, though, really, of what I was thinking anyway, because you can't, a, a team like Luton can't affect things as they have been in the final 15 minutes of games if they haven't got some extra strengths on the bench. And they've got pace, they've got um, goals, because they can't play the amount of strikers that they've got, and all of them are scoring at the moment, or all of them have scored. Um, it, it's quite remarkable. But, but when, you know, we've, today's the Ross Barkley podcast, isn't it? But many times it's been the Chio Old Benny podcast. And when he's sat on the bench, not not doing anything, and your top goal scorer from last season is sat on the bench, 
current joint top goal scorers of that, uh, this season um, against the league leaders. Remarkable, really, uh, the the options that they've got, and and we're talking that they're, they're depleted options because of the injuries that are still yet to resolve themselves and hopefully are easing. So I, I think that's what they did so well in the transfer market in the summer. The recruitment was fantastic, but to improve on what they've got and add strength and depth in almost every position is a masterstroke, really. Yeah, Thierry Henry and Alan Shearer um, said that, that we've kept a core of what got us where we are, but we've glossed a few cherries on the cake sort of around it and it was just nice with Martinez's comments to hear someone in the wider media actually say something good about Luton because we're hearing all (laughs) this crap aren't we about Luton and actually someone who was at the game and that probably made a difference the fact that he was at the game got the atmosphere and everything else whereas all these others are just in front of a keyboard or in front of a tv screen in a tv studio it was just refreshing to hear and, and 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 it was so good to hear and we'll finish this podcast off by the belief that it gives or should give the players, but the belief it will give all of us fans last night. Yes, the result was not what any of us wanted. I think we were all dreaming of getting a kind of result and then to be so close is what made it heartbreaking. If you'd said to me at the start of the game, for example, we're going to lose 4-3, you'd be like, oh, well, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, you would. Um, but the belief it can give us fans after Sunday, if if Arsenal are the best team in the country, and go on to win the Premier League or come second after Sunday, because Man City are going to be the other ones. There is nothing to fear in this division anymore, particularly when these teams come to Kenilworth Road. We've looked at this month, haven't we? Daunting Arsenal, Man City, Newcastle, Chelsea. Well, I'm not disrespecting Newcastle or Chelsea, but after last night, I don't fear them two games no more. I don't. I, I, I would say at the moment, I don't fear it. I don't feel actually fear is the wrong word at all. I'm not, not having the word fear. I don't want to use that, but at home, absolutely no trouble whatsoever because Tottenham were top of the league when we played them. Only narrowly lost, should have got something out of that. Liverpool second, um, obviously should have won that. And then last night against uh, Arsenal, top of the league, um, having been there, there or thereabouts most of last season as well and really running them close and, and should have got a point out of it. That it, it is a tough month. Um, and I don't want to count chickens because I, I think that Manchester city probably still are the team to beat. They warm into seasons and then they get past Christmas and they just win, 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 don't lose. It makes me laugh how yeah. everyone's saying there's a title race. <laughs> yeah. Not, not until we get to March. Is no. there a title race. So we, we got them on Sunday, obviously that's another watermark and a, uh, uh, a test of how how good Luton are. It can go both ways. It can be it can be the, the watermark, but if they do what Manchester you know, Manchester City do so much to lesser teams, which is absolutely more than Waterford Ducks back, I think. Yeah, yeah. throw that one off. Yeah. Um, but you can look to the Newcastle game and maybe even Chelsea now. Now that Luton have built into the league and grown a bit, that they come. To Kenilworth Road, and um, yeah, it's game on, really, isn't it? The key now is just to try and do this. What's happening at home more consistently on the road? That's easier said than done. And we were always sort of targeting good home form to get a lot of points. But 
the the difference between the aggressive chaos football of what we saw against Arsenal at Kenilworth Road to the sort of a little bit listless passive football say for for the Brentford game which was it was probably the mo- the most uncharacteristic and worst performance but it was the most recent you need to close the gap on those two different styles i think to have you know, unwavering confidence all the time, but it's going in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, after Sunday, I think we've got 10 or 11 home games left. If we pick up 20 points from those 10 or 11 home games, that gets us on to 29. I don't think too many more than 30 is the number to stay up this season. So you're only looking at minimal gains on the road. And obviously we've still got to go to Burnley, still got to go to Sheffield United, still got to go to Bournemouth games that we're going to have to target, which we would have done regardless of results at home. All of a sudden you can see a picture forming now where we can stay up, you know, and we're going to improve in January, I suspect, if all the rumours that you're hearing are true. And yeah, last night's given me so much belief. As I say, these games coming up at home that you're looking at as tricky and hope that you can get something from. I'm going to be going into the Newcastles and the Chelsea games, believing we can get something from and hoping we can win. And that is such a different mindset to where I've been so far this season. And that is purely down to how well we were, how well we played last night, how bloody good we were last night and how we've got a coaching staff who can change the game plans to the teams that are in front of them and that game plan work. And that that is just huge. And, um, I hope everyone at the club, us in the stands, the coaching staff themselves and the players just take so much from last night. Yes, we'd have loved to have held on either at 3-2 or at 3-3. But the bigger picture is so much more can come from last night than what did come. I think so. I think it's um, it's a real positive uh, thing after the after the fact that um, the result is always going to be a signal and everybody's reaction was was that more so the players because they felt it they were gutted and they were knackered and but the the, the crowd as Edwards was walking around and he looked sombre but the crowd would um you know full voice and that that was great and I think that 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 says it all but the belief is always there going to be with the Luton fans I think and we know the size of the task and we're aware of what happens if it doesn't all go to plan and and it's, that's okay it's not it's this is a season like no other for for, for any other football club it, it's win win i think in, in many regards but when you're starting off seasons and getting written off by pundits left right and center and now they're starting to turn and change um not not necessarily the ones that are fervently against luton Alan Shearer got pelters from the Kenilworth <laughs> Road end yesterday as he had walked around the edge of the pitch um, and Garth Crooks would get even worse treatment if he ever turned up to a football match. But now you've got people that they're impressing. You talked about Martinez yesterday. Um, Ali McCoist, Ian Wright has been glowing in a couple of match of the days. Um, and they're not talking about Luton as the whipping boys anymore. And the table bears that out. They can't be, can they? Because they, it's it's Sheffield United and Burnley who've um, exceeded the worst sort of ten game start in Premier League history, not, and not Luton. But people don't like to sort of admit they're wrong a lot of the times, and so they'll stick to their guns on that. But now there's 
more voices that are sort of going, actually, Luton have gone to something here um, than they were before. And that's that's a positive as well. If the, the, if the noises from outside are in that vein, then they'll start to filter through. I know that Rob says he doesn't listen to any of that and he probably doesn't, you know, but some of it will get through. He'll be well aware of it. It's This is the world we live in. It's impossible to ignore it all of the time, whether it's players who tell him, whether it's staff who tell him, whether it's his own children who tell him. People are going to um, gonna tell him. It obviously he chooses not to listen to it, and that's absolutely quite right uh, to do that. But it is changing, and let's hope we can keep on changing it. It was such... Such a gut-wrenching night in the end. But it was a beautiful night as well. It it showcased everything Kenilworth Road is, showcased everything our football club is, uh, on and off the pitch. And uh, We'll take whatever happens for the rest of this season. We'll take so many memories from last night. If you were there and you saw Ross Barkley, you'll never forget what you saw from him that night. And um, all we need is just that little bit of luck or a referee to blow up bang on when he should do. And <laughs> who knows, we might... They've got something out of the game. We didn't, but we hope we've done the game justice on this podcast because that is it for this episode of the podcast. My thanks to James for joining me. Uh, I hope that the uh, winning goal didn't dampen your birthday too much. A, a little bit, but not. no, not really. I'm I'm too long in the tooth for birthdays. It was a wonderful football match and it's just that last little bit that didn't quite go to plan. But um, it's... For a man that's very forgetful, I will remember that game for a long time. Absolutely. And that tells you everything that you need to know about the game. Uh, So, yeah, thanks to James for joining me. Thanks to you for watching or listening, however you've consumed this podcast. Thanks to everyone, actually, before the game. And there were loads of you who came up to me before the game and said how much they enjoy the podcast and congratulating me on doing it and everything like that. And that means a lot because we don't do it for ourselves. We do it for you guys who'd watch and listen in. And uh, we really appreciate all of the support that we get uh, in line with that. If you if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel and over 800 of you have now, we'd love to get to a thousand. We'd love to get to a thousand before Christmas if we possibly can. If you haven't subscribed, please do. There's two reasons. One, it helps us with all the numbers and everything makes our reach far greater and the podcast much better. But also podcasts are going to be dropping thick and fast with all of these games that are coming in December. So if you want to know exactly when they drop and don't miss out, subscribe and you'll get a notification so that you don't miss any of the podcasts. Our thanks also go to the Hightown Club who have hosted this podcast for us once again, to Sean Grant and the Wolfgang for the intro music that you've heard and to Ed Smith Creative for all of the designs and things on set. We'll go again on Sunday, but until then, come on you atters. Everyone in it has got this massive soul.